number of people in different parts of the world, all seemingly independently arriving at the same conclusion about the problems associated with uh, conventional agriculture and the solution, which is copying natural systems. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 47. How are things today, Greg? Oh, great. Everything's great. Awesome, awesome. How's, how's the garden coming along? I mean, it, the growing season's kind of over, correct? To, uh, to a certain extent, yeah. You have right. some, uh, some fall, some greens you plant in the fall. Like I planted some lettuce and some Swiss chard and stuff like that in late August, and those are growing now and and will grow until uh to october Mm -hmm. maybe even november if i'm lucky depending on what kind of fall we have Mm -hmm. yeah and the way it's looking we're gonna have with all these hurricanes and everything which uh, is is horrible in the places they're affecting yeah really but uh for us at least for now at this stage in in uh, the uh climate change uh game uh it just makes it warmer here and extends this extends the fall um, although, you know, it also could rip all the shingles off your house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could. It should be very bad. It could. Uh, I was like, yeah, I got an extra 20 bucks worth of lettuce, but I got no roof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wouldn't be good, good at all. That's a good point. That's a good um, point. But, uh, yeah, it's been really hot and humid, and that's it's good for growing. But, yeah, yeah most, of, most of my plants are are you know finishing up and you know like i just picked a lot of I, I just picked an entire bowl of tomatoes today and uh, uh you know all, all the uh, cucumbers are done hmm. and uh, the beans are done except for a handful of uh got some uh, pole beans uh, the taller indeterminate varieties that are still producing a bit but all the bush beans are done right and, uh, so it's you know we're, it's, it's pretty much uh uh, you got some of the largest squashes like pumpkins and stuff. I planted this variety. I don't even know what it's called. Uh, some sort of pumpkin I got, mutant pumpkin I got from the Ukraine. Oh, yeah. And uh, never seen anything like it. These things are weird. They're, they're like uh, cylindrical and long, like 16-inch long pumpkins. And uh, just huge. And uh, I can't wait to eat them to see what they awesome. taste like. It's a weird-looking pumpkin. I'm definitely saving the seeds. Definitely saving. Definitely. So you're looking yeah. forward to eating it. Yeah, I hope it tastes. I mean, it'd be awful if it tastes bad. But uh, <laughs> well, well, we'll see how that goes. Cool. Uh, but yeah, this time of year, a lot of your garden's sort of giving up, except your uh, your root vegetables. So it's pretty much the next stage is to um, get. I gotta. It's got to cool down a little bit more. And once it cools down a little bit more. Um, can start pulling my potatoes and because then I'll have, I'll be able to put them in my garage. Ah, see, right now the garage is is uh, still very warm, and uh, it's just no good for storing things like that. We need the temperature to get down to like ten or eight or something like that. Yeah, um, it's it's been it's been warm. I haven't been saying anything about it even to myself because I don't want it to get cold, but it's probably going to. Yeah. Well, eventually, yeah. It's eventually going to get cold. So uh, I'm just biding my time. And uh, I think the next step would be, because uh, I've still got carrots and parsnips and uh, 
beets in the ground and the carrots and parsnips can wait they're, they're better eaten after a frost anyway mm. but uh beets are probably the next thing i've got a lot of beets and uh um, those can be uh i mean you know most of them we just pick and store in a container i like to roast them mm. but a fraction of them maybe a third I th- i'll probably pickle because i love pickled beets nice. so this is a good good time of year to do that um, and different people in different areas that have things. I mean, most of my stuff's later than a lot of other people because it's uh, it's just uh, cooler here uh, than a lot of other places. Sure, uh, despite sure. the, fact, the fact that I'm in Zone Six, it's uh, it's just not a, a warm place. Uh, I'm going to do an episode on this as a measure. Uh, we talk about growing zones, but there's other measure people can look into this. Uh, I do plan to do an episode on it called Growing Degree Days, yeah. which it's more accurate measure it measures uh, uh, growing zone measures how cold your winter can get mm-hmm. so it really speaks to the survivability of certain perennials whether they can survive your winter that's really what it helps mm. it doesn't really tell you how how many warm days you have in the summer because it really varies um, so for instance uh, my mother lives in alberta in edmonton which is zone three or zone four much right. colder than here yeah. But uh, her, her tomatoes are turning red on the vine outdoors a month before mine, and I'm in zone six, mm. right? Just because they've got those like crazy uh, subarctic uh, weather where it's it's sunny till eleven o'clock at night, yeah, and right. you know sunrise at like four a.m. Mm-hmm. and it's it's especially this uh, last decade or so, it's just been very warm there. So mm-hmm. they, they have different conditions in here. Uh, so there's a thing called growing degree days, which. Uh, this isn't the topic of today's topic, but mm. anyway, it's uh, it, it's uh, to oversimplify. It measures how many days the the soil. And if I'm over, if I'm getting this wrong, please you know, let me know. But yeah. I, I'm giving. I'm, I'm going to do an episode on this. But it really measures how many days of the year the soil is warm, right? Which is a different sort of thing. Because mm-hmm. uh, most plants, they really don't grow. It's, it, warm air is one thing, but w- most plants because the, it's all happening in the, from the roots up, mm-hmm. right? The soil's got to be a certain temperature for that plant to really grow. Right. Um, so anyway, and my whole point is that uh, in terms of growing degree days, this is the worst part of the province. <laughs> one, nice. one, one of. There's other bad places too. Yeah. Uh, so where I live is not unlike certain parts of Cape Breton. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, it's it's. So uh, if you the, can do it there, anybody can do it in this. The program. valley, I suppose, yeah. Like the valley, for those that don't know here, it's, it's the warmest part of Nova yeah. Scotia. It's 50% more growing degree days than here. Yeah. And that's where I used to live. And better so, soil. Uh, well, soil doesn't matter so much because no. you can you can make your own soil, right? You right. can. I've got excellent soil. Um, yeah. um, that's the point. If you're growing in a place like this with you know, very, you know, not as many growing degrees, you've got to have perfect mm-hmm. soil. You have to do everything you can. You have to have as, as good. Everything else has to be solved, right? You have to. Um, you, you don't have the advantage of heat, right? So you have to. You have to cross all the other T's and all the other I's. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, if you if you've got heat, other things can be not so good, and it works out. Yeah, exactly. I guess we're getting into that episode. Yeah, and that wasn't <laughs> even the point. Uh, so uh, I'm not prepared. I haven't done my uh, proper research for that. Okay. Uh, so I can speak to the uh, you're forgiven. S- speak to the concept uh, intelligently. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, speaking of intelligently, today we're going to talk about uh, 
uh, permaculture. I haven't done too many episodes this year about it. And uh, this is more like permaculture light or permaculture for beginners or permaculture for people that uh, have been thinking about it. And, and by the way, I, 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 my entire garden runs on permaculture principles and you mm -hmm. it's it's a scalable concept you can scale it up to it can be a backyard garden it can be um an off-grid hippie commune right uh, it could be a, a full-on agricultural enterprise mm -hmm. um it really depends on uh how much time you have and and your level of interest uh, you know like uh, and that's the thing i think a lot of the uh if you start watching people talking about this on YouTube or uh, other social media or other documentaries and so forth, uh, the perception is that if you're a permaculturist, you have to have ducks and chickens and cows and, and, and an aquaculture facility mm -hmm. where you're raising your own trout and all this stuff. And sure, that's, that's awesome. But <laughs> it, you can also just put the, the idea to work in your backyard. Yeah. Um, to make the garden easier to do mm -hmm. and cost less to set up. And that's what I've done. I, you know, I would love to have uh, chickens or rabbits or something, but my wife you're, is... You're not allowed. You're not allowed. She's really put off by the idea of me strangling these things to death. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an axe. You know, so uh, yeah. I don't want to... I don't want to ruin the magic in the marriage. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. That's I'll be right. right back, honey. I just got to go strangle supper. So um, <laughs> she's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole point for me is it would be just great to have this thing that eats my weeds and turns them into manure, and I wouldn't have to like everything would be right there on. So right now yeah. I have to use I have to burn gasoline to get manure in my garden. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So if I had something that eats weeds. Um, mm. Not only that, but like a ch chickens are ideal in a lot of ways because uh, nothing survives going through a chicken. <laughs> yeah, it's that's got right. An acidic stomach, you know, like yeah. that. You know, bird poops got all that. You can yeah. make gun bombs out of bird poops. Yeah, it's got so yeah. much. So uh, uh, birds are sort of ideal, a uh, chicken or whatever, because mm -hmm. they and you can you know they'll eat your slugs and they'll eat your bugs, and so you, you throw everything in the chicken coop and nothing makes it out of there, mm. right? Uh, if you've got uh, blighted leaves of something, you'll just eat them and comes out fine. Uh, everything goes to the chick. So I mean, that's uh, really advantageous. But anyway, I haven't I haven't got that set up. Okay. So I'm gonna step back a little bit and speak more generally to applying right, permaculture right. in a garden. And I'm not I'm not an expert on this topic. I've never taken a course on it or a workshop or anything. I mean, all I've done is read about it, watch online content about it and try to apply everything I've read or heard about in my garden. Mm. And what we're going to talk about today is just the, the philosophy of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. and I'm going to read uh, a couple sentences here. And really, all you got to do is do what those sentences say. And you can figure, you can figure the whole thing out yourself. Is this this uh, this is a quote from uh, Bill Mollison? He is uh, he and a fellow named David Holmgren are 
Australians that um, I think David Holmgren actually coined the term permaculture, but the two of them made it famous because they published a book called mm -hmm. uh, Permaculture One. Not a very creative title, but anyway, um, I think Bill Millison just died very recently. Um, so these are Australians, and they and they come up with this approach to gardening because they they just didn't think uh, conventional agriculture was uh, was sustainable. Yeah, it's just all the inputs that go into it and uh, mm -hmm. so heavily reliant on industrial products and so on, and it's not really good for the soil, and it wastes an incredible amount of water. And you got to understand, it, it, water isn't a problem in this part of the world where we live, mm. right? We live, you know, and not only is, is water is such a not a problem that we have, like, mold and mildew problems, right? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, our problem here usually is there's too much water. Right. Uh, but in a place like Australia, uh <laughs> problem is there's not enough yeah um, so uh, they started developing uh, just like any permaculture person they they noticed that the natural systems in australia don't seem to have any problem finding water mm. uh, it's all the agricultural systems seem to be completely parched and devoid of water so why not just learn from the natural systems mm. and apply apply some of the lessons that natural systems are, are teaching you in your garden. So this is uh, Bill Mollison. This is from uh, a direct quote from the book uh, Permaculture 2, which you, you can find online for nothing. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be online for nothing, but if you yeah. Google it, you'll find a PDF. For free. Like one of the first top 10 things you'll things you'll find is a PDF hmm. of of that. And uh, Permaculture 2 is was written with the the more uh, home, kitchen garden, backyard gardener in mind. Mm -hmm. uh, permaculture one was more like, we need to transform agriculture. So it was much more on large-scale perspective, whereas permaculture two was more like, hey, you know, ordinary people can put this into practice in their own situation as well. Yeah. Um, and Mollison's not the only, there's, there's other writers, Mollison and Holmgren are not the only people that have written about this. Um, there's a, Oh, yeah, there's just, just, just to, to name a couple here. Um, and that's the funny thing. This is a, uh, this approach to gardening became part of the conversation over the course of the 20th century, mm -hmm. where different um, uh, horticulturists, I guess we could call them, in different parts of the world, uh, to some extent, I believe, because it's not like there was internet back then, right? People weren't just Googling each other in 1913 or whatever. Yeah. A number of people in different parts of the world, all seemingly independently arriving at the same conclusion about the problems associated with uh, conventional agriculture and the solution, which is copying natural systems. Mm. So these pioneers include uh, Ruth Stout. She's an American uh, uh, woman, a prolific writer, uh, very down to earth. I would recommend uh, for the backyard because she's because she had a garden the same size as mine, a twenty five hundred square foot backyard garden, mm -hmm. and uh, very down to earth, very accessible, uh, very plain English uh, writer, very practical, very hands on. There's a wonderful documentary you can watch about her on YouTube called uh, 
Ruth Stout's garden. It's a really, anyone that's into gardening, it's a really good, she's a very funny lady and interviewing her when she's like, I don't know, she was quite old. She didn't really care what anyone thought of her. So yeah. <laughs> it's very entertaining and very frank. Um, so, and uh, definitely, I think it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's worth watching. Uh, another fellow named uh, Manasubu Fukuoka in Japan. Um, 1913 to 2008, um, uh, Sepp Holzer, an Austrian, uh, he um, was uh, one of the uh, key people that made uh, Hugel culture, mm-hmm. uh, 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 a household name, I guess, among uh, <laughs> among permaculture gardeners, yeah. but definitely a, a permaculture uh, giant in, in the area. And, and many of these people have younger modern versions of them um, sort of spreading the word I guess um, so for uh, David Holgram and uh, Bill Mollison uh, Jeff Lawton is the uh, sort of key if you google Jeff Lawton um, you'll see his TED talks and so on and so forth um, anyway I'm going down into the weeds here um, the point is that there was a number of people all grappling with the same problem as they saw it and all coming up to uh, similar conclusions that um, there's a need, and, and not only that, but taking it upon themselves to increase awareness about uh, more sustainable approaches to agriculture. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm going to do here today is, uh, I think we'll try to do a couple more this season about permaculture, but just to begin, uh, I'll begin my discussion of what I'm going to call uh, permaculture light. <laughs> so, right. simplest uh, I would recommend you read uh, all of the people I just mentioned anything they wrote and there's others as well and, and perhaps in a, uh, subsequent episodes I can talk about uh, other uh, contemporary uh, mm. authors but I always you know it's just my nature you, you start with the, the seminal works and then you work towards contemporary works um, so here's a quote from Bill Mollison in Permaculture 2 he says He's defining permaculture. He says it's a philosophy of working with rather than against nature, of protracted and thoughtful observation rather than protracted and thoughtless labor, and of looking at plants and animals in all their functions rather than treating any area as a single product system. So that's his definition of permaculture. And I think... Well, put it out, that's his short definition. Yeah, right. <laughs> he wrote a whole book on it. So, of course, it's more complicated than that. And we could, there's, there's permaculture principles, there's permaculture ethics, and so on. And we'll talk about that in sub, sub, subsequent episodes. But that sentence, that single sentence there, is the most concise definition of the approach to gardening that I've found. Um, that I can that is the most thorough. Uh, it covers everything. Um, I guess another way of looking, if you watch the Ruth Stout, um, the Ruth Stout video, she um, she complains about uh, how when she started gardening, she would get someone to uh, rototill her. She gardened the way she 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 and her husband moved somewhere where they had a bunch of land. They went from having no land to having land. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't there for two weeks when she said, you know, I think I want a garden. So she talked to people in the area and they all told her what to do. And she did what everybody said for 20 years or so. And uh, every year she'd get aggravated because the uh, 
the guy that would uh, come and plow her, uh, you know, every year she had to have a guy come and rototill the whole garden area so she could plant. And every year the guy would be a little bit late and she found it really annoying because she wanted to get going. And it would be a little later every year and she get a little more annoyed every year. And then uh, one year she said she, um, and this is after like 20 years of gardening conventionally. Right. Uh, she just walked, took a walk around her garden one afternoon and just kind of shedding tears that the plowman hadn't arrived yet. And she looked at her uh, asparagus, which were growing fine because you don't, you don't plow the area where the asparagus is. You know, asparagus is uh, a perennial. And she says she, she talked to the asparagus and said, nobody, nobody plows you and you're doing fine. Mm-hmm. And she said the asparagus uh, said, yeah, you don't have to plow anything else either. <laughs> <laughs> so she went into the, she says, I ran to my house and grabbed my seeds and, just started to stick them in the ground. <laughs> okay. It's, it's more complicated, a little bit. She didn't just, just do that, but basically that's what she did. Yeah. Um, she just, she doesn't really plow any, she doesn't, she does, she practices no-till garden. All of these permaculture people practice no-till garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all consider it a waste of time and they all consider it actually uh, detrimental to the health of the soil. And that's, and the, oh, that's you included. Me included. Uh, detrimental to the health of the soil and detrimental to your overall yield. And it's a lot of work, right? It's thoughtless and protracted labor. Mm. Well, it's not necessary at all because if you go in a forest, no one plows anything. Mm. Forest is completely green. Everything's growing like crazy. Um, so um, this simple definition of permaculture, um, I find myself repeating it when I'm out in the garden. It's something like I'll just I'll walk out in my garden, take a little walk around, and think about that. Uh, is there anything I'm doing that I don't need to be doing? Mm. Right? Um, and Superfukuoka said the same sort of thing. There's all kinds of things you're doing you don't need to do. Um, and if I'm mispronouncing his name, I apologize. Um, you walk around your garden, you think, is, are the things I'm doing make sense? Is there an easier way to do this? Is there a way to have the, like this my garden this year? I hardly watered it at all. Uh, hardly did any weeding. Uh, I did a video the other day where I showed me picking um, uh, carrots, and I got an incredible yield this year. And there's weeds all over the place. Didn't matter. Um, so uh, you know, I haven't really. I planted my seeds in in April. I did a little bit of weeding in June and didn't do anything. Anything didn't water them. Do nothing. And I got. Lots and lots and lots of beautiful carrots. Yeah. And it's just an example. The rest of my garden is pretty much the same sort of situation. So over the years, um, giving myself over to that, that, that mantra and thinking about that, um, it's led me to discover many simple solutions to the problems that I encounter in the garden because it's about finding the design function that's implicit in the problem. Or that is to say, if you have a problem, there's probably a way you can – Organize what you're doing to turn that problem into a solution or to uh, use that problem in some way that or take advantage of it or to um, work with it or work around it in a way that makes things easier. So I'm going to give you some examples of that uh, in my garden. And I, I may have spoken about those in previous episodes, but never with this focus as an example of. So I apologize if I've given some of these examples where I can't recall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't 
want to listen to all 46 episodes to make sure. I get yeah, it wrong. No. But it's a different application. So, um, so uh, one example is um, uh, in my garden, it, it's all fenced in. My garden borders on a wild forest area. Mm-hmm. It's there's like a bit of field brush area, and then it turns into a big boreal conifer forest. Yeah. Uh, uh, or temperate, I guess temperate forest you'd call it here. So the problem is that at the garden edge where the fence stops being garden, starts being wild, it's all weeds. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and not only that, but aggressive, strong, tough weeds that can survive in with all the other weeds. So my initial, again, when you, you know, if you're, you're raised with conventional gardening, you, you plant everything where you want it to be. Um, which isn't necessarily the right place for things, right? Sometimes if you're in a garden, you're observant and you just think a little bit, maybe where you want something to be isn't where it needs to be. Right. Maybe that doesn't make any sense at all. So my idea was that I have perennials all around the outside border of the garden. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just thought that would be nice. Um, I didn't want to have to, you know um, – I like having the things I harvest in my beds because I can get at them from every side. Mm-hmm. You know, my different beds have paths all the way around them, whereas the, the the border, you can only get at it from one side. So I thought of having like uh, asparagus and blackberries and all these different things uh, and just bordering the entire garden. Um, but the problem is that uh, you've got all of these perennials that you're trying to grow. And perpetually, there's uh, different kinds of weeds coming in. And I'm not talking about weeds that the seed lands in your soil and germinates. That's not a problem. In my garden, that's anything like that because the soil is so soft. It, you, know, you, just, you let it grow a little bit till it's about four inches high and you pull it out. If, if it happens, it's rare because you've got a mulch. When it happens, they just pull it fine. You can use them as a, yeah. as, as a you know, as, as you actually just throw them right back on top and they die and become mulch. But things like blackberries and raspberries and other weeds that, uh, you know, a lot of people wouldn't think of blackberries as a weed, but when you don't want them, mm-hmm. they're a weed. Mm-hmm. Especially, I have a weird variety in my uh, forest, and they really don't make very good berries. They just make excellent weeds. Oh, okay. So they, they send roots. They'll send roots 15 feet through the ground. Just right. I got blackberries that'll come up all over the place, mm. and you st- you go you dig down with a tool. Like you get a stick underneath the root and you start pulling it and you'll, you'll pull a root out that's like 10, 10 feet long. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what will happen is you'll have the blackberry migrate into your garden under the mulch and it'll send a little shoot up and you pull it off. Mm. But you, ha- you haven't killed the root. So then it'll send the root another three, two feet and send another little shoot up and you'll pull that one off. Yeah. Being la- being lazy instead of digging the whole thing out. So once you've noticed there's a, a blackberry growing about – 15 feet from the edge of the garden you say okay i got a bit you know so you get a little pointy stick and you i I found that's the best thing to use because it doesn't cut it Mm -hmm. and uh, you end up pulling this uh uh, root out that's like 15 feet a rope sort of thing right yeah which is kind of handy for tying up tomatoes and stuff Mm -hmm. i I use it (laughs) i pulled it out i might as well use it um anyway so these are uh you know aggressive roots and uh they, uh, if you're trying to grow uh, perennials, it's a real problem because they get in with the perennials 
and it's really hard to pull the roots out without damaging the perennials and you can't eradicate them because they're coming in from outside your garden right they're just coming in underground from outside your garden there's really you know unless you were to develop some sort of border that goes like two feet down into the ground to a two foot brick wall a big beautiful wall Uh, you're not going to keep those things out because they're just going to come in like fingers, right? They're reaching in and you're, you're not killing the plant it came from. And you can't because the whole damn forest is the plant it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, even with a mulch, uh, just all this perpetual annoying and very tedious weeding because I don't want to hurt my asparagus. I don't want to hurt my raspberries. I don't want to hurt the things that I've, I'm trying to set up there as perennials. Yeah. And uh, I've come to realize that that was a mistake that um, I shouldn't have perennials in that border at all. And what I should have is um, something that needs to be, and this is, I mean, I might change my mind on this, but something I'm starting to play with this year, and I've started to put this into practice, plant things in that border garden that need to be dug up every year, thoroughly dug up. Right. And in the process of digging them up, you pull out all those, those long roots. And that way you only have to dig them up once. So I've been planting, uh, this year I planted, in certain areas I planted potatoes. And then when you pull out the potatoes, you pull out every weed, you know, because when you're picking potatoes, you're digging the ground all up anyway. Yeah. So you're not, I don't, you don't do any weeding. I'm not weeding, I'm, I'm harvesting my potatoes. Mm. And as I'm doing that, I'm just firing weeds into the woods. Yeah. Right, so I'm not weeding. I'm, I'm just getting potatoes and throwing weeds away. Um, so I'm cutting that work down instead of having to like tediously try to get these things out. I just leave it alone. And when it's time to eat, get my potatoes, mm. I just pull everything out. So that's an example. Uh, it took, you know, and I've been doing that the opposite way, um, uh, since 2013. So okay. <laughs> I'm a little slow on the uptake, you know, but, uh, and, and maybe there is some way to, you know, I've got, uh, raspberries established there. Uh, it takes a number of years. Uh, they're like they're about six feet high right now, or five feet high. So I'm not moving the raspberries. They're just going to have to uh, fend for themselves. Okay. <laughs> Nothing I can do. About but uh, uh, asparagus, um, I don't know. Uh, it's it's you know I think I might. Um, I'm going to wait till I can get a decent harvest out of them, but then I might move them because it's just a pain. It's a real pain to have to deal with. They're, they're very fragile when they're young. So in the early spring when the asparagus are at their most fragile, I've got all these aggressive blackberries trying to t- you know set up shop. Hmm. Uh, it's really hard to get them out of there without damaging the asparagus. Right. Uh, another example is, uh, and I just noticed this by accident, uh, I planted some potatoes at the southern end of my garden. The southern end of the garden, the most southerly, uh, actually doesn't get the most uh, light because it's the southern end is against the forest where there's trees and some things like that. So it's actually the northern end of the garden because there's no trees between it and the southern end of the garden. Mm. It gets the most sun. Or the middle of the, from the middle of the garden all the way to the northern end gets the most sun. The mm-hmm. southern end is closest to the tree line, and the trees are about six, seven feet high. I, I cut them a bit so that they're all just like alders and little trees like that. But still, uh, there's, there's shade there, and I planted potatoes there because I figured they'd, they'd still do okay, which they did. But then I planted some uh, – I've always had um, – sometimes it can be difficult to get uh, – 
fall greens to germinate in the, in the full heat of August, right? Yeah. But I planted some lettuce there, and I literally just threw the seeds in the ground and put a bit of hay on top and didn't do anything. I watered it that day and left it alone, hmm. and they came up just fine because they're in the shade, right? There's still lots of, I mean, seeds need heat to germinate. They don't need sun. You know, I mean, plants need sun to grow, but seeds don't need sun to germinate. They need heat. Right. So in that location, that time of year, they're getting plenty of heat because it's just warm. It's August. Um, but the sun's not beating down on them. So it's very easy to get them to germinate there. And we've been eating that lettuce for weeks. Um, so really, really easy way to get lettuce. I've always found lettuce a bit of a chore to get going in, in August. And this year it was dead easy, unbelievably easy, hmm. just by planting them in the shade. Who would have thought yeah, planting really. something in the shade? Not only that, but, you know, in about a month. Uh, leaves are going to start to fall, and not only that, but the sun's going to be rising in the. It's, you know, the sun the sun rises in the northeast during the, the summer like mm-hmm. after the equinox. But as you're moving towards the fall, it starts rising more in the northeast. That sort of thing. So, uh, as those leaves fall, there's going to be more sun coming through that end of the garden. Yeah. So as those plants get bigger and as the leaves fall. Um, they're still going to grow because I've got uh, uh, Swiss chard and lettuce growing there. Um, they're going to get more sun as it gets cooler. Mm. So it's going to work out just right. Yeah. Um, and it is working out good. I mean, we've got, we basically have, we don't have to buy lettuce now. I've got that where I had potatoes. So that bed of potatoes literally supplied us potatoes almost the whole summer long. Mm. And now, you know, I planted the lettuce mid August. And I would say, by the end of the first or second week of, um, uh, what was it? So we've, we've, we just started first week of September. Where are we now? We're in the third week of September. Yeah. First, second week of September, I started regularly harvesting lettuce every couple of days, just using the cut and come, abru- cut and mm. come again, cut and come again approach. Um, and we're not going to have to buy lettuce till, I don't know, probably the end of October, whenever they start to shut down. Nice. Um, and I put almost nothing into it. I haven't even watered them. I haven't done anything. Um, so that's working out great. So that's in, that happened by accident, right? I mean, yeah. I just planted them there because for whatever. I didn't, but I, you know, watching them, I was cognizant of what was happening, when it was happening. And now I will copy that in subsequent years because it worked so well. Right? I'll always have a potato garden in a shady spot. Yeah. Um, not only that, but... You plant the potato in the shady spot first. You plant different waves of potatoes. Another good point. You you plant different waves of potatoes throughout the summer. You plant some like second week of April. You plant some first week of May. You plant some middle of May, mm-hmm. and you plant some first week of June. And that way they'll come on at different times. Well, the potatoes that you plant the earliest are the ones that you plant in that shady spot because that time of year the leaves the trees haven't got a lot of leaves on them right right so that area is going to get sun early in the spring mm-hmm. and as those leaves come on uh and it starts getting warmer there's going to be a little bit less sun but by then that soil has gotten the heat it needs and everything's going fine it worked out really well so i'll definitely copy that that's just realizing hey i found a way to make it way easier and not only that but get two crops out of the same patch of earth hmm um, so that's one other example. And uh, uh, finally, just one last example. 
just the idea of, you know, this problem that people have with water, right? Installing, and I've talked about this before, so I'll be brief. Installing irrigation systems, standing around with a watering hose, watering your garden, bringing up watering cans, watering your garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the other thing people do? Uh, hooking up sprinklers, which I don't know if you ever try to water your garden with a sprinkler, but at least 50% of the water goes somewhere else. Outside, yeah, down the driveway it's, or uh, in the, the neighbor's yard. Now, it's, it's not a problem for me because my yeah. water comes from a well and right. the well is practically infinite. Um but uh, in certain parts of the world, or if you're in a uh, suburban setting or whatever, where you're paying for your water, that could be a problem. Yeah. Uh, or if you live somewhere, uh, like if you're out west where water is scarce, that could be a problem. Mm. Or if you live somewhere where you, you haven't got a very good well, right? There's parts of, even parts of Nova Scotia where people still have uh, older styled wells where they're only, you know, 15 or 20 feet deep. Yeah. Um, the height of summer, they can't just be blowing water all over the place. They, gotta, no. they might run into drinking water. Um, or, or bathing water or dish, you know, like, you know, doing your dishes and bathing and drinking are more important than mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and aside from that, it's just, a, just a waste of time and money and energy. When, if you take a walk through the woods, I invite anyone to do this, you know, and maybe it doesn't work this way for everywhere, but certainly around here, you could pick the driest part of the summer when there's a fire ban everywhere and you're not allowed to do anything. And you go take a walk through the woods or a park or somewhere and go off the beaten trail for a second and where there's sticks and leaves all over the ground, kick up those sticks and leaves a little bit and you'll notice you go down an inch or so the soil is moist. Yeah. Um, that system, all you got to do is apply that in your garden. Mm. You can forget about irrigation systems and watering and all that sort of stuff. You get some sort of mulch down, some sort of decaying matter. And, you know, you might have to play around a little bit, um, I got into this whole mulch thing uh, initially, really buying into using uh, wood chips as a mulch. Mm. And I'm finding the last couple of years that I actually prefer seaweed and hay yeah. um, for here. And maybe it's different in other places. But I find the, the, the wood chips last longer, um, but I find uh, you need a lot of them to retain the moisture in your soil. And if you have a lot of them, what happens, and this is just my opinion, and some people are going to get better into shape, I know, because people defend wood chips like they're like a prodigal son. Mm-hmm. But um, this part of the world where it's cold, and we have cold, frozen winters, and the soil freezes, uh, the wood chips do not, they do not keep the ground from freezing. The ground freezes. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you're in zone 8 or zone 9 or zone 10, um, maybe they do. But in this part of the world, they don't keep the ground. The ground freezes. The whole damn place freezes. And what happens is the ground freezes, and if you've got a heavy, heavy layer of wood chips on, uh, they hold that in like permafrost. So it takes a while for the ground to heat up then. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I found uh, I like uh, seaweed because uh, it's dark in color and it attracts heat to itself. And not only that, but it it just becomes very active. It, It gets all... Mushy and slimy, which sounds gross, but it it it, it, it makes heat. Yeah, and we, we have, in this part of the world we have a heat problem. You know, for most of the year we have a heat problem. It's just never hot enough. Mm. Um, so you want stuff like that. And I've also found hay heats up really well. Um, anyway, 
use whatever you can get your hand. I, you know, I've got gardens that have wood chips on them too, and I always will. Um, not only that, but my walking paths are in, have are cover are all wood chips. And uh, um, this year, I just planted through some beads, uh, some bean seeds in one of my walking paths, and I had awesome uh, yellow beans, <laughs> wax beans growing in the path. Nice. Uh, pathway so and i never watered them once at all and then water them the slightest um so you're copying nature and you're solving that water problem not just the problem of the scarcity of water but the, to the work associated with it or the cost associated with it mm -hmm. all you got to do is copy a system that works and that's all about just being present and mindful um, when you're out in your garden and being willing to try different things, you don't have to wholesale commit to anything. You can, right. you know, try try something in a certain area, see how that works. Like the that whole weed border thing. I didn't redo my whole garden. I took a section. I said I'm going to try that this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, no, definitely uh, because every every year you by doing that you're going to hold your weeds in check. I won't plant potatoes there next year. I'll plant. A parsnips or carrots or something, something else, or a different wheat, a different plant that has different needs. And uh, you know, when I when I harvest them, again, you'll be you're pulling everything up, so everything else will come out. Yeah, you, you pull a care, you pull a, a row of carrots out, it loosens up all the soil because mm. now you've got holes in the ground. Yeah, so all the weeds will come out no problem. Then you just throw some mulch, throw some hay or something over that, and and leave it for next year. Nice. Yeah. So uh, I hope that's helpful for people. That's uh, just a, I'm going to do a couple episodes on permaculture this year because the one of the angles of this whole podcast is supposed to be about permaculture, and I tend to uh, yeah. I tend to slack off on. I practice it every day, and I'm I really really think it's a, a great thing to get into, and I I encourage anyone listening to just engage the literature on the topic and uh, really. Uh, you know, digest it, um, mm. and try to apply it in your garden. I mm -hmm. think you'll really find, uh, it changes your, um, uh, not only changes the kind of results you get, but I think you'll enjoy I could be wrong, but I think you'll enjoy gardening that much more because you're, you're learning something new. Mm. Um, you're learning a new approach to it and it just makes it easier. An <laughs> it easier takes, approach. Yeah. yeah. It I mean, that's been, that's been your message from day one. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I have a big, big garden, and for the last two months, um, I just did a video the other day where I, I prepared one of my garden beds for the fall. So, it, which it took five minutes, yeah. an eight by eight by eight garden bed. But outside of that, all I've been doing is gathering food. That's yeah. all I've. That's all I have done. I haven't watered. I haven't weeded. I, I've just gathered food. Nice. Um, except for the little bit of lettuce I planted where I threw some seeds in the ground and put some hay over it. Mm. So, I mean, man, um, this permaculture thing is, is a real, uh, a real, uh, I'm, I'm so glad I came across it. Mm. Uh, I wish I had come across it sooner in my life. It's certainly, it's been around since the seventies and I didn't even hear about it. That just goes mm. to show it's not picking up any traction out there yeah. in mainstream media because there's no money to be made off of it. Exactly. You can't, you know, basically, how about uh, it's a way of gardening that costs next to nothing. Yeah, it takes money away from everyone selling everything. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> everyone selling anything has got nothing to do with this. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, that's the reason why it makes so much sense. So much sense, and it works. Yeah. So, yeah, check it out. And uh, we'll stick some show notes up 
in uh, at maritimegardening.com slash zero four seven and yeah check out uh check us out on facebook greg's got lots of traction on there lately lots of videos and and uh yeah so if you're not already doing that check that out check the youtube channel oh and thanks uh thanks to everyone for um uh, the last few videos i've done there's been a, a good number of shares i'm really uh thank you for sharing my videos i really appreciate that yeah awesome fantastic and that will do it for this one so we we appreciate you listening thanks and uh, thanks greg thanks a lot thanks for listening till next time Bye-bye. Bye-bye.